everybody, and welcome to another summer edition of my show, The Break with Father Roderick. I hope for you that you're still on a summer break, but some of you are already back at work, back in school, or have never left. Oh, I really pity you. When you are listening to this, I will be taking a short summer break in Italy. I'll be in Tuscany. And since I travel light, I don't take my equipment with me. Hence the reason that you're listening to this show that I recorded before I went on vacation. And this is one of the things I almost always do. And that is before I go on vacation, I make sure that I have a few spare podcasts. I mean, I'm not going for for four weeks. I'm just going for two weeks. So I pre-record uh, my shows in advance to make sure that for those of you that are not on vacation, uh, you still have that rhythm that I, I know for, for a lot of you, podcasts are part of your daily routines. They're part of your, your, your trip to work or um, the, your household chores that you do. And so I want to make sure that <laughs> I keep feeding you that content. Of course, I could also completely quit and say, well, hey, just use this time to catch up on previous shows. But uh, some people would do that. Other people would just eh, just skip for, for two weeks. And especially when it comes to uh, YouTube channels, TikTok, there it's almost imperative that I pre-record some stuff and that I have some content to, uh, to bridge that two-week gap of my summer vacation because that is what keeps the audience engaged. Uh, and this is something I notice myself as well, following a number of people and number of content creators. If I don't see their videos for a couple of weeks, the algorithm just stops showing me, even if they create new stuff, they just stop showing me content of that creator. And every once in a while, I go through my list of subscriptions and I think, hey, what happened to that guy? And I click on, on the feed and then oh my gosh, I didn't know you did all these new videos. And then you start watching it, and then, of course, the algorithm picks up again. But uh, but not everybody does that. So this is why I put some extra effort into making sure that you have something to listen to. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl, and that kid sees dead people, and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. This week is the week of the premiere of Rise of the Dragon, which is a prequel series that takes place 200 years before the events of Game of Thrones. Um, and it is already heralded as one of the best television series, at least in the fantasy realm, of, of the year. And some people that have seen the, uh, the first few episodes are saying even that it is the best television series ever made. Now, of course, your mileage may vary, but here's the sound of the trailer, and I have to say, it looks pretty impressive. Is a foot. House of the Dragon, the official trailer. Here it is. The dream. It was clearer than a memory. And I heard the sound of thundering hooves, splintering shields, and ringing swords. And I played. 
taste my air, not put me iron through. And all the dragons roared as one. They consider the matter urgent. That of your succession. Well, who else would have a claim? The firstborn child. Rhaenyra, no queen has ever sat the Iron Throne. The king has an heir, Daemon Targaryen. I will not be made to choose between my brother and my daughter. Rhaenyra's succession will be challenged. Knives will come out. You are the king. Your duty is to take a new wife. I have decided to name a new heir. I'm your heir. War is afoot. Do you think the Ram will ever accept me as their queen? A woman would not inherit the Iron Throne. Because that is the order of things. When I'm queen, I will create a new order. Your family has dragons. Men should never have trifled with. If Rhaenyra comes into power, she can cut off any challenge to her succession. I am to inherit the Iron Throne. She will block my way. Our hearts remain as one. Oh, our hearts were never one. Have you never imagined yourself on the Iron Throne? Where is sacrifice? Now they see you as you are. HBO Max is the platform where you will be able to see uh, the uh, the House of the Dragon and. I am very, very impressed by this trailer. This, of course, is going to be the tentpole production for HBO. Um, this is what they want to get out there so people stay subscribed or become subscribers to their service. And uh, just as much as Game of Thrones has been a game changer, no pun intended, <laughs> for them. So they hope that the, that this series will, um, will increase loyalty of those that liked the Game of Thrones series until the last season and one of the reasons that i'm 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 hopeful for the for the the success of this series is that um they have been able to learn from the 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 fan reaction to the last season of game of thrones where basically for those of you that haven't watched the series and that's totally understandable it's not everyone's cup of tea it's very violent it's very graphic especially in the first few seasons of game of thrones there was a lot of nudity um a lot of uh, in terms of morals the story is terrible <laughs> and i expect this series to be very similar uh because it's all about the drama that is created by by basically all these great great characters there are no good people <laughs> in these stories which is what sets it apart from us from from something like uh, uh, the, the the rings of power, where there will be evil doers, but there will also be the heroes, and it's much more of a classical fairy tale compared to what uh, what Game of Thrones and and House of the Dragons is doing. 
Um, so in case you don't know exactly the, the context, the, the Game of Thrones showed this ongoing political battle and, and military battle for the one throne of Westeros, which is this imaginary world or continent where the stories take place. And uh, there, there were a few main characters that were, were emerging and uh, were definitely written in such a way that you would empathize and, with them and, and, and you would root for them. But then in the last season, at least one of the main characters uh, turns bad, turns evil, and, and does unthinkable things. Um, and it, it felt contrived and it felt almost as if they were they were mocking the audience for ever rooting for that character um, and so that left people with a very sour taste uh, when it comes to the to the way that story was wrapped up um, so I'm pretty sure that in this series they will they will do it differently and even even looking at the story that they show in this trailer about this, this is about about the house Tigerian which is basically um, a family that is uh, has a very distinctive physical trait. They all have blonde hair, long blonde hair. They all look like like Legolas, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and um, it was a very very powerful house in the in the history of, of Westeros. But Game of Thrones actually showed that that house was in 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 great um, military, uh, po- po- political, and 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 also moral decline. And apparently, this this prequel is showing the beginning of that descent into uh, into the abyss. Um, but what struck me about at least about the trailer, and I don't know if that reflects the overall story. This is also about this whole idea that a, maybe a woman could ascend to the throne, to the Iron Throne, um, and and you can tell that there is a lot of strive around that and it's not supposed to the culture was not willing to accept that possibility and and yet there seems to be this younger woman who is determined to be the first queen of westeros and to change the rules so of course we're going to be uh rooting for her or we're supposed to root for her and then um there is uh, one of the main uh opponents to that idea is the uncle of that young woman Played by Matt Smith, one of the previous Doctor Who's, which is very interesting uh, to see him in a, in another major role. We 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 haven't seen much of what he did uh, after after Doctor Who. I'm sure that he played in <laughs> in other productions, but I'm not aware of of what he did. This is high profile, and of course, it's going to be a very different role from what he played in um, in Doctor Who. So that's interesting cinematography costumes the sets the special effects the sound design even of this trailer music you, you barely hear it but i suppose it's going to be good as well all that looks top notch it's it is different well i was i was a bit worried that this would f- be very much like the rings of power and that it would compete with the rings of power but even though both these series are fantasy series the whole feel and look and, and of course, story-wise also, and the morals and the values that reflected in those stories are so different. Um, the, the Rings of Power trailers show us a much more stylized fantasy world. It's, it's all very meticulously designed. Um, some people complain that it's too perfect, it looks too beautiful, but, but this is also 
kind of what I think what gives it its distinct character. This is an imaginary world. This is a bit of a like a heightened reality. Uh, at least for me, it is <laughs> like what I dream about. What would be the place where I would love to live if I wouldn't live here? It would be Middle Earth, of course. And so I don't think there's anything wrong about it being a little bit more stylized and being maybe over the top beautiful. Um, but but it's it's very different from what we see in in uh, House of Dragons, where it, it's very much the same type of kind of dark, moody atmosphere that we saw in. Uh, uh, the 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 Game of Thrones. Um, it's got these amazing looking dragons. I'm I'm so glad they bring back the dragons. That was one of my favorite elements of of Game of Thrones. Um, but I I also like that the the mood that they set is reflective of let's say the the moral state of the world. It's all shadows. It, there is light. But it's always light that streams through tiny windows or through gates, or it's it's, it's never full blown sunlight. There there is something in the way that this this is shot that that conveys to you that this is a a, a story full of shadows, full of full of darkness. Yes, there will be glimmers of light and hope, but it's also a world that gets progressively darker. So. I don't know anything else about the story, but uh, it's definitely something I'm going to check out and I'll follow up on um, uh, on this series here on the show once I've seen a bit more of it. Last week I gave you the recipe for red cabbage with an oriental twist and... Uh, I said at the time that I really liked it, but I made a huge portion of red cabbage oriental style for lunch, and I had lunch right before I s- stepped in front of this microphone. And I have to say, it was a bit much. It was <laughs> when you have a full plate of red cabbage, it's just red cabbage. Yeah, it, it gets a little bit boring. So maybe I should combine it with some rice and, I don't know, something else, maybe some tofu. Oh, speaking of tofu, by the way, uh, remember that I that I had these two chunks of tofu in the fridge and I was wondering if you could still eat it if it was like four months past the expiration date? Well, it turns out it's totally okay. It's already fermented and I suppose because it's organic stuff they have to put an expiration date on it but i just did what is always recommended i just sniffed smelled and it smelled fine neutral nothing nothing strange about it so what i did was i i i I pressed it so all the well most of the water came out of it i uh chopped it into cubes and then i froze the cubes which also does something to the overall structure of uh, the tofu and now if i need to use some tofu in a vegetarian dish i just take out some of those blocks and and I froze them in a, in a way so I put I always when I freeze stuff individually I put them on these uh, baking sheets so they don't stick to the baking sheet and I put them in in the in the freezer uh, I wait about an hour or two hours until they're fully frozen and then I put them in a container the the advantage of freezing it like that is that they it doesn't stick together so I can just take uh, a handful of cubes and then I defrost them I just put them in the regular part of the fridge and then and then I marinate them 
And uh, since these have been frozen, they're even more spongy, even more receptive to the flavors of the of the marinade than before. And I have to say, it has completely changed my view of tofu. <laughs> I, I only to- knew tofu as this gelatinous kind of rubbery stuff that I wondered why would people ever eat that voluntarily? <laughs> I know it's it's probably healthy and it, it, it provides you with, with protein, but food, I prefer food that is actually tasty, that, that has a certain structure that may be a bit crunchy. Well, the thing is, with, with this method of preparing tofu, it is much more like chicken in a certain way, especially if the marinade is good. It's it just has nothing to do with the tofu that I remember from my from my younger years. So I think that's going to be a, a it's going to it's going to be here to stay. It's going to be a staple ingredient in a lot of the dishes. And as you know, I try to cook vegetarian during the week, and only during the weekend I will eat some meat. Um, but I'm so happy that tofu now works for me because tofu is really cheap. Even compared to other vegetarian meat alternatives, most of the time those are... They're, they're, right now, because of the, the whole fluctuation of the markets, uh, meat replacements are actually cheaper than meat. I remember a few years ago, that was the opposite. Meat replacements were so much more expensive than regular meat, so people would always go for chicken or for beef uh, instead of you know the healthy stuff. But it's now the opposite. <laughs> and that's that's a good thing because of course especially beef is 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 one of uh, the major sources of uh, uh environmental well climate pressure you could say um uh and, and and so eating less beef is not only healthier but it's also good for the environment and probably also good for animals in general. Um but it's 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 good <laughs> It's good to see that there are all alternatives, but I like the fact that tofu can be prepared, you know, depending on the type of marinade, can be prepared in many different ways. And it's super healthy, it's super simple, um, and, and it's still half the price of other meat replacements. So being uh, always a bit of on the thrifty side of things, I kind of like that. And then there was this one final thing that I was able to do, like, uh, the other week, in, in, in one of the Too Good To Go boxes that I got, uh, there was a bit of beef. And norm- nowadays, that's very rare. They just put a lot of dairy in there, and, and sometimes it's just these lot more luxury things like uh, cheese or something. Um, it says there's only a few euros. I don't mind that. But it's it's not always the most useful stuff for, for regular cooking. But this time, in one of those boxes, I had um, two steaks, beef steaks, um, and and good quality. I mean, I think the, the 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 on the package it said that originally that would have cost nine euros, and it was in a package for with much more other stuff for just four bucks, I think. And so what I did was I didn't prepare the steaks in the way that you know normally you would do this, but instead I I fi- was finally able to to do what I what I saw on a lot of TikToks of Korean uh, Korean kitchen or cuisine. And that is, it's a, it's a type of, of uh, meat preparation where you, you make sure you have super thin slices of beef. And it has to be quality beef. You can't just use like the, the more chewy beef that has to, you know, cook a long time to become tender. Um, but it's, it's made out of like more prime steak. Uh, but because it's very thinly sliced, it can uh, be prepared in just a few minutes. It also uh, absorbs more of the marinade 
And, and then you can combine it with stir-fry or with rice or whatever, or, or noodles. Um, you can also use this in, uh, in ramen recipes. Uh, but my thing was always, I'm not going to buy beef steak just for these recipes because it's so expensive, plus... You know, it's not it's not good for the environment, but now this is this was beef that was basically going to expire the next day. So what I did is I put it in the freezer for I think two and a half hours, and then I took it out. It was still a little bit; it wasn't completely you know solid frozen, um, but it was already firm enough so I could cut it. And I I'm so glad I have that. I I, I bought I bought this knife at IKEA. Uh, and it's a it's a real professional kitchen knife, but you know IKEA prices, so not not very expensive. I think it was twenty bucks, um, and I, I bought like a, a a knife sharpener for it, and it's been the best purchase of my culinary life. Oh my gosh, what a difference does it make to have a good knife that is sharp? And so I've been practicing my knife skills, you know, using the left hand to hold whatever you're cutting and, and, and use it in the claw mode where your, your fingers are not sticking out so you can't chop them off. <laughs> and then you push it towards the knife and your knuckles are against the blade of the knife and you make that, that, that cutting motion where the tip of the knife should stay on the, the wooden plank that you use for support. And then you, you, you kind of make this, this move where you push the knife forward and down at the same time. And at first, I was doing that very slowly because I'm I'm afraid of sharp knives. But then the funny thing is, the more you practice, the faster this goes. And so I'm now almost at the speed of my, of, of my grandmother, who I remember my my Chinese grandmother when she cooked, she had this huge chopping knife, and then she would chop all her ingredients for for that she used in 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 the walk with a speed that was supernatural. I was like, how? How is that possible? She was 80 years old, and, and there she is with a huge <laughs> knife that is like twice the size of her hands. And it's like... And, and I, I really hope that one day I would be able to do the same. Well, I'm, I'm about at half the speed of my grandmother, but I'm getting there. And so I use that knife to slice these, these two, you know, relatively small pieces of steak into really, really thin uh, flakes, you could say, of beef, froze them, and now there are in, in containers in my fridge. And I can't wait to make my first ramen noodle dish with this. I'll have to wait until I'm back from vacation, of course, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? I'm rereading a book that has changed my life. And I'm not kidding you. This this book and its author has been maybe the most influential book. Uh, even Maybe even more. Well, no, I shouldn't say that. More influential than the Bible. That's not true because the Bible is of is a continuous influence on my life. <laughs> although, if, if, although, if you just consider you know, the amount of Bible reading that I do as a priest <laughs> in, in, during the masses and during the the liturgy of the hours, then of course the Bible is the most influential book. But this 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 other book that I'm currently re rereading has been the the most. Um, explosive impact, had the most explosive impact on my life. Written 
by or and, and dictated to a certain extent by Therese of Lisieux, this uh, young French nun in the north of France who lived in Normandy in a in a monastery that nobody had heard of, and that only a few decades later became. Uh, one of the most well-loved saints in the Catholic Church and was even declared a doctor of the Church for her spirituality uh, and, and for the way in which her, her view of prayer and of spirituality, her relationship with God, uh, impacted theology. Pope Francis is a huge admirer of Therese of Lisieux. John Paul II, same thing. He was, a, he was an avid... A reader of of the writings of of Saint Therese of Lisieux, and I'm sure they won't be the last popes. Um, she wrote at the instigation of her mother superior uh, the story of her life, and and it was named later the story of a soul. She wrote that book in on various moments of her life, um, and. Uh, it was also at first when they published it after she died because she died of illness uh, at a very young age uh, when they published the book um, it was in a heavily redacted form they had taken out a lot of stuff that the sisters back then deemed to be a bit bit too personal or maybe um, you know could reflect badly on on that famous uh, <laughs> sister uh, that they venerated so much and, uh, and the same actually happened also to her photographs. This is one of those saints that we have nowadays, of which we have photographs, which is very cool. Um, so a lot of the photos that were circulating were heavily retouched, and they were doing that by hand, just making her look a bit more attractive, more corresponding to the overall pious imagination that people had at the time. It's, it's kind of like... What, what a lot of celebrities do nowadays in Photoshop or have people do in Photoshop. That, Therese of Lisieux was also a victim of that. And so over the past century, there have been a lot of efforts to uh, kind of purge her writings and, and those photos. Um, uh, and, and also the oral history of who she was and how she lived her life of all those kind of falsifications and, and, and embellishments. And so uh, the, the book, The Story of a Soul, has had a number of, of retranslations. Um, and, a lot of, and historians have, and theologians have, have gone to the original manu- manuscripts and were able to make the, the definitive version of that. And, that. and they also did that with a lot of other uh, writings that are often included in, in, in the volumes that you can get uh, with the story of her of her life. This is a relatively new translation. I think it's about 10 years old by John Beavers. And it's refreshing. It's very refreshing. Um, when I was 18 years old or 17 years old, that was the first time that I read the writings of Therese of Lisieux. And, and the way she talked about God and about prayer was so relatable. And it was so much the language of someone of my age that it, it, it transformed my prayer life, which was virtually non-existent at the time. But it has, it has had and, and still has a major impact on how I view my own relationship with God, how, how, how I approach the, the journey of faith. In, in many ways, there's, there is a very modern kind of simplicity, almost spiritual minimalism in, in her approach to, to prayer and to, to holiness that I think is extremely easy to follow and easy to emulate. And uh, 
Therese also it, it doesn't shy away from, from talking about her weaknesses and her failures. And that makes her even more relatable. Oftentimes when we read stories about saints a bit further down in history, we get this idea that these people were infallible. They were just superheroes, Catholic superheroes. And yes, absolutely worth knowing about and reading about, but but impossible to follow because they were so just so different from from who we are today and how we live our lives. Well, Therese is one of those saints that if you live her if you read what sh- how she lived her life even though it was in a different country, different culture, different times, it's it's still super fresh and relatable and this this translation helps a lot. Um so I read most of her writings in French, in the original language, when I was in seminary. And it was sometimes a bit hard, because um, Therese was also influenced very heavily by the piety of her fellow sisters and, um, and, and, and the times in which she lived. This was, in many ways, her, her writings and her spiritual theory was a, a reaction, probably subconsciously, against the very harsh, very strict... Uh, uh, type of 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 religious life that was still dominant at the time. There was a lot of Jansenism in there, which uh, which is very restrictive. You know, you you have to do your you you have to force yourself to do to to live a holy life. Every transgression can put your life in in eternal peril, and 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 there's a lot of fear and a lot of willpower involved in that kind of spirituality. And and Therese was unable to 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 comply with that approach because she was first of all psychologically weak, or she considered herself to be psychologically very vulnerable, um, and. And also physically, she, she was sick. She's been sick for many, many years. And so she wasn't able to follow that very rigorous uh, lifestyle that a lot of her fellow sisters did still practice at the time. And that's how she came up with that. But there has to be a simpler way. What if I just see myself as a child and, and God, we can call God a father. So there is no father who sees her child, his child fall without picking it up. And so why don't I just tell God, hey, I've, I'm, I'm small, I'm, I, am, I don't have any strength, but you have, can you lift me up? And that's kind of in a, in a nutshell her whole approach to, to spirituality, to God, to prayer. It's all about putting yourself in, a, in, in making yourself small. And, and that's at the same time very biblical, very much uh, what, what Jesus tells his apostles to, to do, to be humble. If you want to be the greatest, make sure that you are the smallest. What St. Paul says, it's when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong, because then God can be my strength. And so, uh, and that is, I think, one of the reasons, one of the main reasons that Therese of Lisieux was proclaimed a doctor of the church, because it was a return to the biblical sources of spirituality, devo- and, and, and purged of all that kind of, too human uh, strictness and and um, how would you say that when someone is is overly worried about uh, scrupulous what, what, scrupulousness that is that is a threat to to any type of spirituality and uh, you find in her writings 
yes, you find worries and angst and and the feeling of not being good enough, but at the same time, there is always this this uh, gift of of that situation to God. Um, there's this admission that yes, I am weak, but who cares? God is my strength, and so at the same time, you see this great freedom and this incredible free spirit who was able to to think so big for such a small girl in such a small world. Um, it's it's super inspiring, and I love rereading this. I, I love the translation that John Beaver did. Uh, and so I would recommend if you want to ever reread or read for the first time the story of a soul, my recommendation would be to check out that uh, translation by John Beavers. I, I'm, I enjoy it more than I thought I would. Time for our nature and sustainability segment. Uh, the other day, I read uh, a news report that if if people uh, want to uh, start a new contract with an energy provider, uh, so this is electricity and gas and and that sort of stuff, uh, they now pay uh, approximately four thousand euros more than a couple of years ago. So there's this huge increase in in costs for just basic things like heating your house, warming up your water. And this, of course, is a trend that's not going to change anytime soon because the war in Ukraine is still going on and will probably go on for an unforeseeable time. Um, and, and that has a major impact on the global economy. Um, so I'm... I'm very well aware that since I'm renting uh, from the parish and I pay a certain fixed amount per month for electricity, for gas, um, I have to be extremely uh, conscious of, of my own, of, of my usage because if I use, overuse gas and electricity, then the, the, rental, the rent will go up. And I just currently... Don't have the budget for that, <laughs> and uh, uh, it's, it's, as I've explained in in other podcasts uh, with with Tridia with the work that I'm I'm doing, I'm very happy that I, I have such a large group of Patreon supporters. But it's still not enough to make ends meet. We're still upside down um, because it's 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 still a relatively small amount of donations that we get, and so I know that that there are just there is no margin. And, and so I'm already preparing for a fall and winter time that I have to do everything I can to reduce costs as much as possible because the last thing that I can use is, uh, is, is the rental price going up. And so uh, one of the things that I know is very effective is taking shorter showers. And uh, this is where this little device that I, I talked about last week comes in super handy. This little cube, this blue cube with uh, with uh, minutes on it, uh, a little tomato timer. Uh, now I have a blue cube that goes from ten minutes to or fifteen minutes to sixty minutes, but I've challenged myself to shower for only five minutes. So I have a second cube which is white colored, and it has 
one, three, five, and eight minutes on it. And so before I step into the shower, I turn it to five minutes. And then I, I really do my best to shower myself, wash my hair as fast as I can, and then to step out of the shower before the timer goes off. That's my big challenge. And you know what? It took a bit of practice <laughs> and a bit of getting used to, like the first times. I, I just had soap in my eyes and the timer went off and I know like, I have to cut the water right now. But okay, let's first get that shampoo out of my hair. Um, but Nowadays, after a bit of practice, it almost becomes second nature to, to just shower very quickly. An unexpected benefit of that, by the way, is also that my shower is much easier to keep clean. Because I just shower for a few minutes, it's, it, it doesn't, the water doesn't get all over the place. So I don't get that residue of, of ca uh, calcium on, on the, the doors of the shower, which takes forever to, to, uh, to, to get rid of. And so the shower looks pristine every day. It's a, yeah, it's a, I didn't expect that as a benefit. And then, of course, another way in which I try to save money is by pre-programming um, certain, certain tasks, certain devices that use electricity to only start at midnight because that's when my electricity contract changes from the expensive rates to a lower rate. So from I think from midnight till six o'clock in the morning, um, it's it's much cheaper to use electricity. And thankfully, both my washing machine and my dishwasher have a clock, and so you can tell it. And I, even my bread machine has that, although I don't make much <laughs> use of it. But you can program it start only at midnight, and then you know, these especially a washing machine. Um, even though these modern devices are very, um, uh, let's say, low low energy, um, the, the dishwasher actually uses less energy than if I would wash by hand because then I would have to heat up water. And so the washing machine is much more efficient both with electricity and with water, but it still consumes electricity. And, and it's, a, it's a simple way to to save electricity. And I now finally I also have a like a smart uh, meter down below um, and I think there is an app so I should ask around see if I can install that app and, and keep track of, uh, of my usage for gas it's different there's a big meter this is a very old system that we have in the, in the basement um, and it's not yet the final system because they, they are they are going to split it up between the rectory and then the, the parish uh, spaces but right now it's the same the same heating system um, and of course, newer devices, the, the, the thing that's there, the heating, what do you call it actually, the kettle? It's, it's old. It's probably like 20 years old. So nowadays, modern <laughs> gas, gas fueled uh, heating systems are much more energy efficient as well. So I hope that they can install that uh, soon. So well, also so, so that I'm able to, to, to reduce the amount of gas that I'm using. That's little things, but little things, if you add them up, can go a long way. I was stunned to see something on TikTok that I never realized before. You know that, that uh, in the 30s, these black and white films short films started to become popular and you'll know that that very first mickey mouse cartoon 
where Mickey is on a boat and he's he's uh, whistling away and uh, he's is m- making music and at one point he even pulls on the tail of a poor cat to make it yell and scream and <laughs> it's part of his song. <laughs> Mickey was a bit, you know, more more violent in those days <laughs> than than today. Um, what what I did not realize that back then, even though this was early animation. But when it came to sound, they didn't have the ability to mix sound or to edit sounds. I never realized that. When you look at those early films and when there's dialogue and sound effects and music, that was all performed in real time. Everybody was there. And so I've seen some footage on this TikTok clip that showed... Walt Disney, who actually voices Mickey Mouse, standing in front of a microphone, and in the same room, there are musicians that are playing live, and there are Foley artists that are doing all the sound effects, and it's all recorded at the same time in sync with the picture, and they would record that live. Isn't that insane? I never realized it. I mean, it makes sense, but... but it makes me admire even more what they did in those days, especially if you look at movies where you would have an orchestra playing. There are certain movies where the the voice actors would be performing with a 30-man orchestra sitting next to them. And then the poor Foley artists who had to make sure that Foley is all the sound effects that you hear. So if there are footsteps, there's someone, you know, in a, with a tube of sand uh, with some bricks making those sounds. But they, they had to have several people stand by with all the things that they would use to generate these sounds and, and to make sure that it was all in sync and at the right time. Can, can you imagine how often that would go wrong and how often they would have to redo it there's this one early hitchcock film where uh, you see the, the the main protagonist is shaving himself in front of the mirror and hitchcock wanted to somehow convey his inner thoughts but they couldn't do a voiceover because the actor was there and they were filming him they were recording the sounds in the bathroom and so what he did is he pre-recorded that inner dialogue on a phonogram like this precursor of the of the gramophone, and he played that in this in the bathroom where he was filming, so you'd hear the voice of the actor. But this wasn't added later on through the magic of sound mixing. Nowadays, that would be so easy to do, but it was played live while they were filming and recording the audio on set. The things you learn on the internet—it is really insane. <laughs> We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. This has been a a particularly rough time for Meta, formerly known as Facebook. As you may have heard on the news, uh, ad revenue has been in a steep decline for Meta for the past several months, and it has caused a bit of a panic. At least that's how I see all these, these news reports 
following one another, talking about big changes. Mark Zuckerberg even did a speech to all his employees, and there are thousands of them, telling them basically that if you don't go along with us, then maybe you don't belong in this company. And he in fact states that I know that there are people working for us that shouldn't work for us. That is, sounds a bit panicky, doesn't it? And so they've, they've announced huge changes for Instagram, where basically the changes that they propose are turning Instagram into a clone of TikTok. And they were experimenting already with like full screen videos and the lead programmers and developers of Instagram have publicly announced that, that you know, photos basically, we're not interested in that anymore. And the world is not interested in photos. Everybody is wants to see more videos. That what, that's what we see. What he doesn't say is that their algorithm is heavily promoting reels, is promoting videos. And remember IGTV? That's what they started like two years ago, where, where it was basically a, a separate app linked to Instagram where if you would post a video to Instagram, it would be automatically relegated to, to IGTV. And then that didn't take up. That didn't work. People didn't care for that and kept just posting photos because that's why they were on Instagram in the first place. And then Instagram started to change the algorithm. So you would see more and more promoted posts. I, that's one of the reasons that I barely use Instagram anymore because you scroll through your feed. And the same is true with the stories. And like one in three stories or photos is, is a promoted thing, is a commercial post. And it's annoying. It's so annoying. Um, and th the other thing that I noticed is that none of those feeds are chronological anymore. With Instagram, sometimes I see photos that people or videos that people posted three, four weeks ago and, 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 and that's like you see them hanging out somewhere on their vacation location. And I know already, that, since I also follow them elsewhere, that they're back and they're back at work. And, and here Instagram thinks that I want to see the, the, this video. Like today we're sitting on the beach eating an ice cream. No, that wasn't. that is not today. That is like four weeks ago. Why do you show me this? And so Instagram gets more and more broken. And... They're, they're pushing the algorithm because they want to be TikTok. They, they've seen the numbers. They see that TikTok is growing exponentially and it's not going away anytime soon. And we also know, thanks to investigative journalism, that, that Meta is, is also doing something much more shady. Not only do they spend millions and millions on, on political uh, lobbying, trying to show their good side to... to and, and, and they don't care who's in charge, you know, whether it's the Republicans or Demo Democrats, they they have the same lobbies to, towards all those groups. Um, and they are sp deliberately spreading reports on, you know, infractions by TikTok and uh, that, that your data is not safe with TikTok. And, and, and some of that may actually be happening. But at the same time, Meta being behind that sort of information is, of course, hypocrisy in, in, in exponential hypocrisy. Because if there is one company that trampled the privacy of its users, it has been Meta. And it continues to be Meta. It's very, very shady. And so it's, it's, it's very cold business rhetoric from them to, to spread stories about how TikTok is, you know, but but their their big true rival is not TikTok. 
their biggest problem right now is Apple. Because Apple has changed their mobile devices in such a way that Facebook is no longer able to track people in the way that they used to track everyone with their cookies. They were gathering so much data every single minute. And you didn't even have to use the app. As long as it was on your phone, it could send data to Facebook. And so they've been doing this massive, massive data gathering uh, for years. And they use that for their advertisement business. Um, So that there was just this huge impact. If, If The more an advertisement is targeted towards someone who needs something, and you know that from all the data gathering that you do, the more, of course, that advertisement will be effective. Well, Apple was like, okay, we want to be the heroes of data protection, privacy protection. This is also, of course part of their marketing strategy this is the apple has seen <laughs> there are so many other parties that are doing data gathering and they they make their money by basically selling people's privacy the apple thought well what if we take the opposite stance and we are the company that pr- that promotes itself as the good guys we are protecting you that's why you need to buy an iphone that's good for business and so apple has made it impossible for facebook to automatically just place cookies all over the place and track people and and facebook has noticed that in its advertisement revenue because the advertisers themselves saw less effective results and so they just stepped away or they maybe they put their money elsewhere maybe on tiktok who knows but um but it's it's funny to see that that right now Meta is trying to make changes and, and, and changing strategy all of a sudden. And you know, the one of the big uh, hopes and dreams of, of Mark Zuckerberg, business hopes and dreams, was that the metaverse would be the next big thing. That everybody would be, in a, a couple of years from now, spending a lot of time in a virtual digital environment made possible thanks to VR and AR technology. That is one of the reasons for the name change. They want to call themselves Meta to already put a flag in the sand like, this is our world. We want to be the rulers over this metaverse once it's there. And that's why they poured billions into the development of cheap headsets like the Oculus Quest, which is now only called the Quest or the Meta Quest. Um, and they sold them lower than their you know production cost. Uh, well... Turns out that is no longer working either for them. And so uh, they did something super surprising. They announced uh, a few weeks ago that starting in August, their the price of their two-year-old MetaQuest 2 would rise in price with 100 euros. So it's an older device. Instead of, of cutting the price, like what Apple does every time there's a new iPhone, that the previous ones go, go down in price... They up the price with like 20, 25%. And, and there's nothing, you, you don't get much more. And the, the problem is the Quest 2 was a, was a very good headset, but also a headset where they already tried to cut corners by, for instance, making a much more simpler head strap. So you were almost, if you used it a lot, you were obliged to, to buy this, this kind of counterbalance thing that you needed to add to it. There were some other things, uh, like, for instance, the distance between your pupils. That is different for every person. And in, in the Quest 1, which I have, there is a slider, and you can just physically move the lenses closer or wider apart. 
But you can't do that with the Quest 2. They just went for, like, this is the average distance. And so for some people, it doesn't work. They get a headache because their pupils are kind of <laughs> pushed in the in the wrong direction. And, and so they already had cut some corners. There were some improvements in the Quest 2. Uh, but, but it still felt very similar to the Quest 1. And so this being already like an older device, they're still upping the price. It feels to me like they're kind of stepping out of this whole idea of the metaverse, which in a way feels reassuring because I don't want one company to rule over the metaverse. Competition, I think, in VR and AR technology is super important. So these these different companies can push each other and, and that will improve what we will finally get to experience. On the other hand... Facebook did play a big role in popularizing the the VR technology because those headsets were so cheap. And now that they are a hundred bucks more, I wonder if this is still going to be so popular over time. And and of course, when people buy less hardware, then it's less incentivizing for the application developers, for software developers, for game developers to uh, to develop new new programs and so it's kind of like the chicken and the egg problem will this be the end of the metaverse i don't know apple seems to have a totally different approach to, towards vr and ar they don't want you to live in a metaverse they want this to be a supportive tool for your day-to-day life and they certainly don't expect you to walk around with a, a headset for for uh, for more than a i don't know 10 15 minutes every once in a while um I'm I'm curious to see what Apple has come up with. They have really taken their time. I expected them to come out with a uh, an AR solution 3 years ago. And every year during every presentation I'm thinking, will this be the moment of the one more thing? And no. Just new iPhones, new iPads, new software for the for the Mac and that's it. But it is coming. We know it for sure. And the fact that they take their time is a good sign because Apple knows that you can only do this right once. And just like with their iPads, with the iPhone, with the the Apple Watch, they need to be absolutely 100% certain that this works and that people will use it. And it's not just a fad, which is kind of the problem with a lot of these these VR and AR headsets. You know, I, I got the Quest 1. I love that thing. But it's most of the time just gathering dust. I I, I put it on yeah, maybe once a month. Just, and, and then I love the experience, but it's certainly not a, a kind of uh, thing that I want to do every day. I don't think it would be good for my brains. It's uh, it's The technology is not there yet. Maybe it will get there, but right now it isn't. And so I'm sure that Apple wants to prevent that from happening as well. Because, well, for them, this may be a whole new product line. And if they approach that with the same iterative process that they have used so successfully with the iPhone and with the the iPad, if they can tie this into their services, this may be another huge source of revenue for Apple. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. And uh, check out all my other stuff on social media, on TikTok, if you are on TikTok, just look for Father Roderick. And if not, you still want to see video, but you're not on TikTok, just take a look at my YouTube channels, especially still want to promote my newer channels, Sunday Mass, youtube.com slash Sunday Mass, which hopefully by the time that you're listening to this, I 
will have been able to stream from Italy. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to work, but uh, we'll see. I'm going to try. And then, of course, for those of you that are into anime and want to listen to my my thoughts about some of these anime series, check out my anime channel on YouTube and, uh, and of course, my documentary channel with vlogs and the video, the new video episodes of The Walk, which I'm very happy with. <laughs> so even for because I like that and I loved making those those videos I hope that you will check them out and subscribe to that channel as well you can find it by going to any of my YouTube pages if you scroll down at one point you will see these circles with my face in it and different colors as the background you click on those and you'll get to those different channels hope you enjoy it let me know and uh, as always thank you so much for your time thanks to my patrons for your support and we'll talk soon God bless.